0: Hi, this is Melissa Wood Tepperberg, and this is the Move with Heart podcast. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah. and just breathe it all in. I want to talk. I can't uh, lie. I was like, psh, psh. it's going to be short, sweet, and very spicy. And we're going to get right into it because apparently some of you think I talk too much. <laughs> There is nothing more important to me than opening up these conversations around our mental health and breaking down the stigmas and the stereotypes when it comes to this very, very, very important topic Trish Barillis is someone who has been in my life, one of my best friends for almost 20 years. She is a life coach, a creator of positive change who focuses on anxiety, breakups, relationships, and job advancements. And she shares so many incredible, tangible takeaways to help you cope with these anxious times, these anxious feelings that come up and most importantly, what I love about our conversation is just giving you the permission to feel the waves that come and go with anxiety and to know that you are not alone and that there is something for each and every one of us to help move through these challenging times in our life.
1: Nice calves, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we are starting the episode.
0: Yeah. Eyes of great calves. Yeah,
1: I I really appreciate men's calves. I do with a great appreciation. <laughs>
0: Trish, oh, I don't think you know. It's funny because a lot of people think they know me, and there are very few people. Who really know me.
1: I think everyone can say that but in their older But you're life. the one. Oh, yeah. I know. Who I really know where knows. those bodies are buried. <laughs> those skeletons. <laughs> yeah. It's been a long time. You know the many phases of
0: Melissa. This has been, I feel like, just a long time coming. Having you on because I feel so safe
1: with you well you're it's like you you get to pick your friend family, right? I just didn't really pick you at first. <laughs> no, <laughs> she didn't that. but you were persistent, and that I appreciated and i'm I'm very rarely wrong about people, and I was wrong about you when I met you.
0: oh my God, I've never heard yeah. you say that before,
1: yeah, well, you were just young and annoying <laughs> <laughs> you were i was it, well.
0: To take it back, we met at Marquee. In Nightlife. We worked together at Marquee. Trish was a bartender. I was a cocktail waitress. I had never cocktail waitress before. Clearly.
1: <laughs> yes, it showed. <laughs> and I would
0: like come up to the bar and I'd be like,
1: Trish, can I have your like, wine opener? Wine opener, Trish, your can bottle I have opener. This? Trish, can I have that? No, it's yeah. a job. You come prepared. You make more money than me. Get to it. Yeah, you were really tough. I was tough. I was 24. But you've always been tough with me, but in a way that I needed it. I was Friends. tough with everyone, I think, because nightlife was hard back then. This was before the restrictions and the lawsuits. This is when it was like the Wild West. So everything went. Yeah. Everything was game on. Everything. And when you guys came, you're a group. You guys were so vanilla that <laughs> I was like, green and vanilla and like, oh my God, I just, I'd already been in it for so many years that I was, I was trying to pay my rent, pay for school, pay for my parents. I didn't have time to teach you guys how to do your job. (laughs) And that annoyed me. So I was, I was aggressive and I was bitchy. I was really bitchy. Yeah, you were. Yeah. You were mean. And I was there for, I was on a mission to make money and to succeed. That was my mission. Right. And I kept to it.
0: So we had a rocky start, but things really shifted when we lived in a house together in the Hamptons when we were both working out here at a club that no longer exists. (laughs) R.I.P. Dune. That was really... R.I.P. Dune. (laughs) R.I.P.
1: Yeah. Well, because I didn't get to know you. I only knew who you guys were at work, right? It was different. I had just gone through a horrific breakup. My heart was shattered and... You and Daniel were my, you know, Daniel and I were such good friends. So when he was saying that you were coming to stay in the house, I was like, oh man, (laughs) God. But then it just, it's, I I just, I needed it. And I'm not a girl's girl back then. You weren't. I didn't have a lot of girlfriends and I had all guy friends. It was a house of all guys. Right. It was. But I...
0: Where you and I really connected was, I mean, I have always run anxious. And I think seeing and, and kind of feeling and experiencing your anxiety, it was also extremely heightened because you were going through a horrific breakup because we had no choice being under the same roof where we started to let each other in.
1: Well, I think I started to let you in. You can because because shared you were, the story. you were really well. I just remember you were on the phone with a family member, and you can see I, who it was. I you were on the phone with your mom, and I just it hit me that you were suffering and that you were sad and upset and in pain, and that's where my heartstrings go. I'm very empathetic, especially for family. So I just thought, what are you doing? Like, she's so nice. And this poor girl is hurting and do what you do and be there for her. And then it switched. And then I got kicked out of my room and had to move in with you guys. (laughs) Shared like a twin bed with you guys in the corner. So, and then we shared a bathroom. We got ready together. You did my hair and my makeup, clothes. I mean, you still basically, yeah, you still do that. So I think that's where it all shifted for us. And that was it. That, after that summer, it was lock and loaded. And then you moved in with me. How many years ago was this? 2008. Wow. Summer of 2008. Yeah, it was. So
0: I, there was one time I remember so specifically when I was like in it. I was in all my shit that I, I wasn't really seeing and I was just like, I don't know what to do. How to? Where do I even begin? And you were one of the first people who really sat me down, and you were like, "What do you want?" Right. And it's really interesting, you guys. If if you really ask yourself that, it's a simple question. It's a simple question, but it is not
1: so simple to answer because people want others to answer it for them, or that there's there's going to be this omen or epiphany that happens to really ask yourself what do I want can be very scary do I want to be single do I not want to be married do I not what do you want that's it's a hard question to answer it is and then you have to ask yourself and then wait for how your body responds and that was I can't remember when I asked you that but you were doing a ton of work a lot of self well I
0: thought I was <laughs> but it wasn't i wasn't really connected to the work mm. i knew something wasn't working but i wasn't able to really see my stuff because i never owned that it was something that i had to change right and you were truly someone that helped me see through a lot of tough love that it it was because of my actions mm. And the way that I was behaving, right? Like you called out, like
1: I remember my behavior I remember when I would these, drink, yeah. And oh, I would, man, are these behaviors. <laughs> well, first of all, I loved. Some, those are some of the best moments, but also some sad moments, right, where it just felt destructive. And Extreme. because I was older than you, I am still am older than you. I just felt that I needed to say something because you don't want to see your friends hurting or hurting themselves or destroying certain relationships. So I knew you would be upset, but it was the right thing to do. Like I can't watch something fucking burn and not try to put it out. Yeah. Right. That's not being a good friend. Yes. No. I,
0: and it's, it's really hard when you're not in the place to... Receive it. Open and receive it. Mm-hmm. And I do remember, like, I remember so vividly of you being like, when you drink, you act in a way that's unacceptable. And I mean, however you delivered it to me at right. those times, because you've always been direct.
1: <laughs> yes. I mean, uh, working on it, always a work in progress. Yeah, but very, no, I am direct. And if when people ask me questions or if I see something, I don't know how to not be blunt. It's like, okay, here's the truth. This is my truth that I see and no one's gonna tell you the way that it is and I will do that for you. And if you're mad at me, I will be okay with that because I love you. And hopefully we'll get through it. Mm-hmm. And we have. We've never not gotten through anything, ever. No. And we've never really ever fought. No, never, only in the beginning when we weren't. Well, well not like I fought, was bitchy, but- yes. Yeah.
0: There was a time when I'm pretty sure we were in the Hamptons in my like first house. Remember when you came out and it was the first time I ever really ever told anyone in my life that I had an eating disorder and that I was in a really bad place and I had to go on meds. Right. I don't think I've ever told anyone that I ever like went through any experience with being on medication, but you were you were the first person well, that I
1: told. It's interesting. I didn't know I was the first person of the friends, yeah. right? But I remember, and this is why I think, well, for me, our friendship works is because when you can tell someone the scariest, ugliest parts of yourself, and they respond with love, you are like, I found my person, right? You just feel supported and seen and you don't feel crazy and stupid and unwanted or abandoned. Yeah. Right. So when you shared with me your struggle and that you took medication when I was going through hell and I didn't I wasn't medicated for my anxiety disorder, it wasn't until I was 36 and I remember calling you and we had a conversation about meds and it was such a nonchalant issue. You were like, why don't you just go on med? Like as if yeah. you were handing me a piece of gum. And I was like, fuck, why don't I? Right? Like, right. What, what, what's stopping me? So I think it actually, it went both ways, right? You told me and then I asked you and then you helped me get on meds for the first time. And I never look back and I never will because it's changed my life. And it's so crazy because I realized so quickly that it didn't work for me.
0: Right. And it was this like...
1: Because it has side effects, right? It depends on your DNA. It depends on which, which med route. Medication is so specific to each person's body type. And it's not a one size fits all. So it really needs to be a journey and one where you have a ton of support. Because you can go on meds, have a horrible reaction... Or make the anxiety worse. And then you have to find out what is the right dosage. What's the right medication that's going to make me feel back in my body. Right. So it does it work for everybody? No. Does it primarily help people that are suffering severely? Yes. It's why a lot of us are medicated. Mm-hmm. You've been coaching on
0: anxiety. Or you've been, a, you've been a life coach who works with a lot of people. With managing their anxiety. Correct. And I think, you know, for me, it was wanting you to really come on because I think you have such a gracious, non judgmental way of breaking down all the stigmas around anxiety and mental health. And there's just so much shame and there's so much guilt. And even like you were,
1: even in that time, like afraid to go on. I was doing the work. Right. And I couldn't, my ego couldn't let me because there's so much ego that plays a role in how you take care of yourself, right? So something's wrong with my mental health. The norm is breathe through it, exercise, Mm -hmm. meditate, which all of those things can absolutely be beneficial. But when you have a disorder, there is a disorder. It's in the definition. Something is not in order. Right. So you need help to regulate your system. And that's not... A bad thing and it's not shameful, but we internalize it that way. And breaking stigmas, especially for people of color, because in the past since pandemic, my whole clientele has shifted to a lot of Latinas, people all over the world, West Africa, Panama, Peru, Australia. It's just, it's wild how. Now I'm attracting a different type of clientele because culturally you just deal with your shit. You get over it. If you're a child of immigrants, they didn't have any of this. So we we dealt with it. Move on, you know, man up, do it. Right. So anxiety for me didn't really start being successful as a coach until I would say pandemic, because nobody wanted to talk about it. I know. And I coach on relationships and job advancements. But the anxiety piece I thought was so important because people weren't talking about it. And I needed someone to talk to me when I was throughout basically my my whole life. And so I have anxiety disorder, as you know, along with panic disorder. So anxiety is just this big umbrella. And there's so many things that fall underneath it. But it's not like, oh, I have anxiety disorder. So it looks just like somebody else that has it. It's very complicated. And there can be like multiple things under anxiety because my anxiety and your anxiety also looks very different completely,
0: but I, but we, you cannot feel it.
1: Well, we can vibrate together, right? right? But then it depends on what type of anxiety, because then there's other people that have certain types of anxieties that actually pushes you away from them, where you're like, whoa, you are vibrating at a level my body can't handle. And then that causes a disconnect. But when we kind of vibe equally, then it works, right?
0: I just love Saqqara. I love how their science-backed, ready-to-eat meals just show up at your doorstep, and they are very specifically designed using organic, plant-based ingredients that I can tell you help ease bloat. Boost your energy and clear your skin. Saqqara brings expertly designed organic nutrition programs and wellness essentials, like I said, right. To your door. Please sign me up. But the best part about it is that you just don't have to think about it and it is there and it is ready to eat and it's delicious. Right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakaracom slash MWH or enter code MWH at checkout. That's Saqqara.com. S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash M-W-H to get 20%, you guys. That's huge off your first order. It does not disappoint. I have been a saqqara light since they launched and I cannot rave enough about these incredibly designed organic plant-based meals. I didn't even realize my whole life that I've had it. It really wasn't until like moving to New York and hitting the real lowest of lows that I was like something, like what's going on? But, and then like in turn, looking back, I'm like, well, it's always been there. I've just masked it with all of these coping mechanisms that were great fixes in the moment.
1: Well, they're band-aids essentially.
0: Big ones. And then when you rip those band-aids off, whew,
1: they are explosive. As they should be, right? Yeah. You're holding back a dam and eventually it's going to bust. So what do you do then, right? When did you realize in your life that this was
0: something like beyond your comprehension? Because I think you you said it wasn't until you were what age that you realized you so have it. So my first
1: panic attack was about seven. So at seven years old, I'm having this outer body experience where I don't know what's happening and I'm scared, deathly afraid. And I just assumed everybody lived like this, but we're better at managing it. And my parents, as you know, are from Guatemala. When I was young, their English was, I mean, their English isn't great now. So back then it was, you know, barely speakable. So I didn't have people to really talk to. And so I just suffered and just thought everyone felt this way. Then in high school, I always knew I was a little different because when people would go to sleepovers, I couldn't cope. I was catastrophizing everything. Is this the last time I'm gonna see my parents? I'm not gonna be there. Is someone gonna break into the house? Am I gonna die? Everybody ends up dead in my thoughts, right? We're all dead, never gonna see them again. And then going to college was horrific. And I just couldn't function. I wasn't functioning. So I was 20 years old and I weighed 78 pounds. And the school called my parents and said, she's got to go to an eating disorder clinic. And I said, I don't have an eating disorder. Like I, I, I will gladly eat a whole pizza by myself. And you know how I love food and yeah. eat it. I just knew that what I had was something different. So I had to leave. And the panic attacks were happening constantly. So one day I woke up and decided that I just didn't want to live anymore, that this was it that if I couldn't find a solution, I had to find a way out of living. So I called my sister and told her my my feelings. I didn't have a plan, Mm -hmm. but I knew that this was extreme suffering and I couldn't handle it. And she like ran over and told my parents, this is real, like she needs help. So that's when I started therapy. That didn't work. It wasn't until you you meet the right therapist and the right specialist And then I realized how much our mental health system lacks. So when I was studying to decide, okay, do I go to grad school to become a therapist or a doctor? Coaching just felt right. It was my calling. And then I wanted to be able to help others manage anxiety. Because we're all going to go through some type of anxiety at some point in our life. It just matters if it becomes a disorder, if it's situational. And right now we're in a mental health crisis and it's worse than ever. So it's really sad. So I just knew, okay, well, at 36, after you and I spoke, I wasn't in a dark place. I just knew I wasn't functioning. And then My doctor asked me, my therapist, because I didn't have a psych yet, asked me one thing. He said, when do you want to stop suffering? You tell me when, and I will tell you how to fix that.
0: Mm.
1: And then I thought, well, fuck. All right, let's do it. And the med journey was tough, real tough. It was harder than I could ever imagined But I'm so glad I did it. Why? Because you tried a bunch of things. I only tried two types of meds, but sometimes your anxiety will get worse before it gets better. So when you take medications, it's changing your brain chemistry. So there's an adjustment period. So if you have anxiety, I was getting zaps in my body. I was getting panic attacks at eight o'clock every day. It was just happening. And then you think, people, I think the misconception is I take this pill and now all of a sudden, oh, I'm so chill and relaxed. And it, like you smoked a joint or drank a glass. No, you are vibrating even higher because your body is just trying to regulate. So what I always tell people, and 95% of my clients are in therapy and or have a psychiatrist, I hold so much space for them on their med journey. That's the hardest part. The hardest part is getting over the fear of what are the side effects, right? And can I stay in there? Can I hang in there? So those are, you know, it was, it's been a long road to healing. I
0: mean, I know, I know it has for you, for me in such different ways. And you have been one person who's really opened my eyes to the fact that, you know, you know how big I am on meditation and movement and cultivating a practice that works for you. And through your experience of coping and dealing it's made me realize like there really is no one size fits all. No. There's not like meditate and you're going to be good. And I think it's it's really important to have these conversations and the support and to break down these walls of shame around medication if it's needed and trying it on. I mean I I think even for myself like I was so afraid of trying it because I was I'm like, how am I working in wellness on meds? I swear to you, that's of course that's what I thought.
1: I wrote, when I finished my book, literally, I just got off meds. Within a month of finishing the book, guess what pops back up? There she is, full on. And then I was crying saying, I just wrote a book about anxiety and how I got off meds. What am I going to do now? My therapist was like, say that you got back on meds and just keep going. It just, it was so simple, but I felt, again, my ego felt like, well, I can't just say, oh, I've been cured and etc. I just didn't know how it was just going to come right back. I didn't plan for it. I really thought, I really did, that I was good. Like check, check, managed. And that's not how our brains work. It's not how mental health works. And it's always going to spike. And you just have to figure out what is your solutions? where, Where are your tools? Who are your healers? Who's your tribe? And make sure that you're constantly working on those. And that's how I got through. What are your ultimate coping mechanisms?
0: I know that I feel like it's hard to say what could work for one person may not work for the next. But for someone who comes to you and is in complete disarray, how... Do you guide them to
1: feeling more ease? I don't know. So with what I think people need the most is how to understand themselves and their body, right? Because the anxiety will always, generally our symptoms are the same and the triggers are very different. And it doesn't need to have this source of like, my anxiety comes from this. Well, if that was the case, then we would all have figured it out. Right, so the point is, is that it's not just a one source thing. Anxiety can happen just cause, right? So, with my clients, we really go through their whole understanding of what anxiety looks like for you and your thoughts. What does it look like for you physically? And how do we start to change your reaction to them? Because anxiety is fear, so it's fear of fear. I don't want. I'm scared of being scared, right? So it's like driving, anxiety, social. I'm scared of being this. The feeling of being afraid is scaring the fuck out of me. And it's associated to big groups. It's associated to driving, whatever it is. Fine. So, or anything, right? It could be anything. So it's the fear of fear. So how do we understand our fears? What do you say to yourself? Which is the most important. What are you saying to yourself in these moments of anxiety? Are you perpetuating it? are you adding more fuel to the fire or are you negating it right cuz anxiety is bullshit it's all lies but we believe them so it really matters of how you deconstruct it to yourself and i have my clients write it in their in their note section of their phone why cuz what do you always have the your phone, phone no matter what in the bathroom on a you're never without your phone <laughs> so they can read what they're doing okay okay, wait, what's happening? This is my, okay, this is my trigger. Okay, try this. And you're just going to try a whole bunch of things and see what can bring your body back to a more peaceful state. And not everything's going to work every time. So you got to keep switching it, keep changing it, and not hold your, not beat yourself up about if you've had a bad experience or a bad day or a bad night. Like the next day you move on.
0: I think that's probably been one of the most like eye opening and challenging things for me because i feel like i do so much work i've done so much work i'm continuing to do all of this work and then when i hit these lows and you know before i i could always put my finger on it and as i've gotten older it's become more of this like i'm like what what is the it? fuck is this like yeah. why do why do I feel this way? Like I am so grateful for everything I have in my life and all of these things. And it just comes and creeps its way back in. And I it like it can really bring me down, and I'm always working on just trying my best not to judge the fact that this is something that has been with me my entire life. And I mean it's it's interesting. Like I've been diving deeper into breath work in, in a way that I never have before because I feel the need to deepen you need something. More. I need more. Right.
1: I mean, life is, you know, chaos perpetuated. That's life. And it's always gonna get harder. And as women, we have exciting perimenopause and menopause, which is hormonal. And then we're even more fucked. <laughs> so it's like, oh, I've i figured this out. I I've got my hormone game on can manage my anxiety, bam, perimenopause. Oh, okay, I have figured out my hot flight. bam, met, then menopause. It's like you're always, you're never going to be caught up, which is why I think we have to be softer, right? And not romanticize that when we get to a, a place in our life that ah, it's just always going to be that way, right? Like it is going to be hard. It is going to suck. And that's okay. Just be a human and call someone, cry, punch a bed. You know, like we just have to humanize ourselves. And especially for people in wellness, I, a lot of clients have in wellness and they feel like a fraud because, well, I'm I'm teaching this. I coach on anxiety all day. I have panic disorder. I'm going to have a bad night. I am. And then I had a panic, I had when a panic attack when I, when I stayed here. You know, what's happening? I'm with my husband, two of my like best family members, you know, you and Noah, what... What just happened? But, And then I stopped myself from berating and ruminating. I just said, well, whatever, because I have anxiety. That's why it happened. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Was it something that, you know, can I pin it to something? No. So then I just said to Charlie, I'm just going to leave it. I don't care. It happened. And then the next morning I told you guys, and then you gave me that little gummy the next night. And I was like, all right. Oh,
0: the sleep one.
1: Yeah. Let me sleep. Let me sleep. (laughs) Yeah. So that's just life. So it doesn't matter where you are or who you're with, it will get hard for reasons sometimes we know and sometimes we don't. And you just keep going or you find you know a reason to keep going. That's what I think is important is that I I try to help people fight for their light, right? Like where's your light and how do you hold on to it and fight for it At almost every day if you have to. And if you can't, ask someone to help you fight for it. And you guys have done that for me, you know, w- with a lot of my family shit. And I couldn't fight for my light anymore. Couldn't. I was losing it. And you guys all came in. Like, that's the point, right? That's family. That's mental health. That's everything. It's across the board. Yeah. It's the,
0: the ask and telling people— when you're having a hard time.
1: And showing up for people when they're reaching out to, right? So it's reciprocal. Yeah. So if I'm reaching out to you, I need you to reach out to me, mm-hmm. right? Which we do all the time. Yes. And that's where friendships grows, right? Because you have to be both the giver and the receiver. It's crazy how hard it
0: is to ask someone for help. So hard. I it's think it's so one of the hard, hard.
1: I think asking for help is... It's up there. I would say like a close top three of the hardest things. Asking for help, admitting to yourself is probably number one, is admitting to yourself that you need help. Right. Um, Which through my line of work, I'm so much better because I remember I couldn't cook for my family. I couldn't feed them. They were both sick. I couldn't feed them. And I Remember, you guys pulled Noah pulled over, and I said, "How do I feed them?" And you told me to put a no, a clothespin on my nose, and that worked. I was at a I'm, when I tell you, I could not feed them. My anxiety was so bad, I couldn't function
0: in Guatemala.
1: Yeah, and that was the simplest. You were like, "Well, just because everything made me nauseous, right? The smell, and I can't cook to save my life. So here I have two sick old people yeah. with COVID. Who's going to feed them? No one's coming over to this COVID house." It was horrible. So getting better at saying, like, I'm not okay. And I don't know how to do this one simple task, right? You made the time. You pulled over. You told me. And whoever else I called to, everybody had a simple thing that I just needed to hear in the moment, right? So if we can just get through our egos and just ask the questions and ask for the support, as as dumb as it might seem to you, it can be life-changing.
0: I know. I mean, I'm I'm thinking about a friend in our life recently who took their life and you're just like, no one knew. Like it eats away at your soul when you're like, if only
1: I like got him, you know. Suicide is so different. It's, uh, that's, it's, I don't think people, you could literally speak to someone. You could have a phone conversation, be in their presence and they still do it within 20 minutes after you. I don't feel like there's anything anyone can say. I think when it, from my personal opinion, when somebody has made that decision, they've made that decision. And they didn't just come to that within 24 hours. Like this has been a process. I don't know if there's anything to say. Yes, you can, people need to get the help they need. It's tricky. And I, I, can sympathize with anybody that has to deal with it. I am I myself am dealing with something like that with a re- very close family friend. And sometimes there's nothing you can do except love them and answer the calls and do whatever it is that you can, right? That's really all we can do. <sighs> I know it's so
0: heavy what three, if there were three things, like three tools that you would resort to for yourself, like in the midst of feeling that swirl and that spiral?
1: So mine are interesting. So mine are quite odd because I've had them forever, right? When I find myself more so when I'm in a panic attack. So Panic attacks come in two different forms: the fear of going crazy or the fear of having a heart attack. Mine is going crazy. so I start to disassociate. Everything starts to feel unreal. I'm not in the world. I don't I can't recognize myself. what's happening And things start just getting very fuzzy and my body is interpreting a threat right? So it's some, it's very aggressive and it comes in aggressively. So I listen to old school hip hop. It's <laughs> why I love hip hop so much. When somebody's in panic, you want to really shift the brain off of you internally onto something externally. So I take a cold cloth, I put it in the fridge and then I put it over my face and I breathe through it because your body and your brain is shifting to what's cold, Right. So get off of me, and go on to something else. Then I have this crystal that I gave Charlie that I now took back <laughs> that I hold because it's cold as well. And I start playing rap because I remember, we can remember every rap song and people's phone numbers or home lines, but I can't remember anything that someone told me like an hour ago. <laughs> right. So with the with rapping, I start to say it in my head. I start to sing, which also takes me out of my head. So you'll see me doing circles. So if you woke up and let's say I was in a full-blown panic, you would have seen me walking back and forth in your house with headphones on, rapping. So that is literally how I get through it. And I've been doing that for years. And it works for me. Right. Right. So you have to figure out what is your thing, right? Because listen, not everybody loves rap. You should, (laughs) but not everybody does. So that's what... That's my. That is my number one go to.
0: That's so. I. I don't think I knew that. I don't know if you did. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's very. Charlie will know. I send him a text that says, "I'm in it because I can't talk. It's so severe. I can't speak. I can't. No one can touch me. I just got to get through it. And I. I'm pretty good. I can get myself out of nine out of ten. If I really can't reel myself back in, then I have a a med for that. And
0: And you've gone to the hospital.
1: Oh. Anxious people were always in the hospital. I have a brain tumor. I have this, I have that. I've been in hospital for my anxiety. I couldn't even tell prep well over 40 times until I got medication. I now never need to go to the hospital. I know exactly what's happening. And they're going to do the same thing, except I'm going to get a $1,000 bill for it. So I might (laughs) as well be home, right? Listening to my rap and 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 medicating the proper way. That is what's key, right? Is knowing what your process is. Right.
0: Mine is going into a bathroom and doing breath work and like sitting in, like just taking a moment after I get myself out of that. Well, first of all, I like peak myself into a sympathetic, stressful state and then I drop down into the parasympathetic with stillness and a prayer, like a deep, deep prayer.
1: And I... If that were parasympathetic, I would love if that worked for me. If I did breath work, my ass would be passed out because (laughs) I'm already at like a hundred. When you take a pulse of somebody, they're mimicking a heart attack, literally, because the body is having that stress response. So I think it's so important for people to truly understand their anxiety, really take a look at it. I always say, become friends with it. Pull up a chair Mm -hmm. and say... You know, what do you look like? What do you want? When do you show up? How should I respond to you in a way that doesn't scare the hell out of me and makes you maybe not hang out so much? Right, right? As an anxious, I will still go on trips with you girls, but it's it's not easy. It's not easy. And the night before, I'm a hot mess, always. And I'm always prepared because of the anxiety. And I'm always early and on time Because the anxiety, you know, my ass rolled up 15 minutes today, early. I can't be late. My anxiety does not, I don't want that. I can't handle it. Where I'm like, all right, well, Mel's going to roll up in an hour. My anxiety makes me late. (laughs) But isn't that funny how you can have two people experiencing anxiety, but it looks very differently. All of our anxieties will look differently. They don't mimic each other, which is why it's hard to treat. Yeah right? Because then it would just be, here's this one thing, take that thing and, oh, you know, namaste. Mm -hmm. No, it's not the way it works. You got to do the work and you got to fight for it. And it's a trial and error. It's a constant experiment. It's a constant battle, right? Something that the statement I love is that uh, pain is inevitable and suffering is optional. There's no way you can avoid pain ever. But you can avoid suffering. It's a choice. And that's a whole other podcast. But it's, I I always say that to myself. Do you want to suffer? Do you want to continue to suffer? You have a choice, Trish. What is it today? When I was studying
0: Kabbalah, I just I have <laughs> to share this because it was like a real pivotal moment in my life. Like there, when you asked me the what do you want? And then When I was studying Kabbalah and one assignment was to go to someone in your life that kept it 100 with you. That you could ask to see your mirror, to look in in your mirror. Mm -hmm. And to really get like the truth behind maybe some things within yourself that you don't see, that someone else has experienced. And you really... (laughs) <laughs> but you, you, you didn't do it in any way other than truthful and honest. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because now I look back at that time and I'm, I realize a lot of those behavioral patterns that kept resurfacing came to life when I drank. Mm. And you were the first person in my life that ever really told me.
1: Well, that whole cabal. I mean, I I remember I was happy to
0: oh, do I this was exercise
1: like, yes. with you uh, because it's it's interesting. I've I've always been raised to be so truthful and direct. My dad always made that a point, right? So when you were asking me, I just felt so relieved that you were here at this point in your life, right? Because feedback is paramount to how we evolve. And feedback is supposed to be challenging. That's the whole point. So when you asked, I was so excited inside, like, oh, she's ready. And then you guys, I was like, okay. Okay, I got
0: it. And she kept going. (laughs) Listen, I was like, this
1: is my moment. And I don't know if I'm ever going to get it. So here you are. You ask, you're going to get. And- it was, I felt, I remember, I felt so good after that conversation. And a lot of people will call me, non-clients, and say, I know you're the person to ask because you're not going to sugarcoat it. You're not going to hold my hand and you're going to tell me directly. And I say, great, go. And they they ask and I answer. They might not like the answer, but they asked. So if you're asking, I I it's my job as your friend to be truthful. And I think that's what we don't do enough of. Everything's It's a lot of bullshit, you know? And I just don't, I personally don't operate that way. I never have, which is why I wasn't really a girl's girl, right? Because I just thought there was a lot of pettiness and competition. And with men, it's like, meh, things are a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. So I've always liked that. And You said to me, you need more girlfriends because your guy friends are going to get married. They're going to move on. They're not gonna be around, but your girlfriends will be. And I was like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And then 10 years later,
0: they're all gone. They're all
1: gone. Except for one. Mm -hmm. But that one out of a ton, right? Right. And because of you, you brought all of these other girls into my life. All of them. (laughs) And I've kept them all. And now they're they're my favorite humans. So it really, yeah, you were like the the gate opener to what I didn't know I needed.
0: Well, you have helped me see my shit for so many years, but the thing that I have always gravitated towards you for is the support that you've shown me through some of the hardest times in my life. And with the work that you do and the work that you share, it's Broken down my own walls to know that, like, I'm not alone and that we're all suffering with something and that we don't have to let it just boil and feed up inside of us. That having someone in your life that you can go to that hears you, that
1: can help you is like, I know it saved my life. So, well, same, right? Like, that's what we do. That's why we're family. Like, we're not going anywhere. Never gonna abandon you, even if you try. <laughs> and I remember you told me once I that you don't need to go opinion shopping. Do you remember that? <laughs> I was like, "What did she just say to me?" I say that a lot, but I well, <sighs> that one that hurt. I was like, "Did she?" And then you walked away. You said it to my face and walked away. But I think uh, what I love about us is that we have similar family stuff, right? And it connects us. And I don't have family in the United States. So if you need something, I'm there. No matter what time, day. And I feel the same from you guys. So and that's hard to find in life. It's like real ride or dies. I have three. and um, You're one of them. So when you find people that make you feel like home, you always feel like home to me. You and Noah and the kids— When you find those people, you do whatever you need to do to keep them, no matter what. So that's, you know, sucks for you. But this is where you're never, you know, you're never going to be without me. And I truly feel that in my heart from you. And that's what makes me love you so much. And even if we don't see each other for a while, it's a connection. I can't put my, when someone's asked you, well, why do you love them? And you say, I don't know. I just do. It's like that.
0: I love you. I love your work. You guys can work with Trish. She does private sessions. She's starting new.
1: Oh, women's I'm starting coaching. A, a new women's coaching called Swiped Out. It's for women That's in New so York good. City that are need a little support around dating in this online world and who need to be seen, heard and really support each other. Because let's be honest, dating sucked before. I think it sucks 10 times worse now. And it's really tough in big cities. So that's coming That's coming in September. But wait a second, Trish, tell everyone where you met your husband. Online. Yep. Should I give them a plug? I, yes. met, I met him on Bumble. Go Bumble. I was 39 when I met him. He was 48-ish. I don't even know. I don't know how old he was when I met him. But anyways, and then, yeah, so we met online and you absolutely did not like him. <laughs> you said, I don't know. He feels like a playboy. I, he did. Hundred, and then you met him outside and, of our office. But I love
0: him and he's, it just goes, you were don't the tu- judge a book by its cover. You were the toughest friend. I know
1: I was. And he tells me, I tell him all the time. I'm, he's like, oh my God, I love Mel. She did not like you. <laughs> let me tell you, that was a tough sell. We were in the Hamptons <laughs> I when I think you did your first. Was that your first? We came out. It for was something. like the second oh,
0: okay. class I ever taught. Yeah, but, but
1: now everybody loves each other. Look at us now.
0: I always end every episode with some rapid fire. Oh, God, you ready? I love rapid. Fire. Okay, good. Let's go.
1: <laughs>
0: What's your biggest motivator? Happiness. You're like serious with the rapid fire. She's like, let's go. <laughs> Listen, I love... Yeah, let's go. Hit me up. <laughs> what's your end-all, be-all self-care ritual? Like, what's a thing that, like, brings you back
1: to yourself? Nature. I have to ground myself constantly. Flowers. I love me a bouquet. I can make a bomb-ass bouquet. Walking in grass. Anything nature. And that's from Coconut Buddha, who's my dad. Anything that, that can reconnect me to nature.
0: I walk barefoot out here every All day. Every I have day. to. It grounds me immediately. Yep. This podcast, as you know, is called Move With Heart. What does it mean to you to move with your
1: heart? Okay, to move with my heart would be to leave my ego at the door and to listen to that voice in, inside of me, right? My authenticity, the genuineness of what feels good to my body, And to move through that without all the other noise. I love it.
0: I love you so much. I love you. Thank you for breaking down all of these walls and stigmas and stereotypes around mental health. Well, thanks for
1: keeping me around as a friend. (laughs) I would have left me a long time ago. I mean, thank you for being
0: (laughs) friends with me because you definitely didn't want to.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love you. Love you.
0: I hope you enjoyed that episode. We have a special offer for our Move With Heart listeners. When you join MWH as a new member, you will receive an entire month that's 30 days for free. And this is in addition to our seven-day free trial. All you have to do is head to melissawoodhelp.com and use code Heart at MWH. We believe this practice is not just about building this body you desire. This work is about building a better, stronger relationship with yourself. And that is why we offer everything from movement, meditation, and nutrition to help you not only look, but most importantly, feel your best. Follow me on Instagram at Melissa Wood Tepperberg and MWH at Melissa Wood Health. Tune in for an all new episode next week and I cannot wait to see you all on the mat.